Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in Jewish Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Nathan Abrams, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Rich Brownstein about his new book, Holocaust Cinema Complete, a history and analysis of 400 films with a teaching guide. After a career in Hollywood, Rich Brownstein has become a leading international expert concerning the history and use of Holocaust films. He has lectured for Yad Vashem's International School for Holocaust Studies in Jerusalem, Israel, since 2014. Rich Brownstein, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Great to have you. Um, Rich, I wonder if you could begin the interview by telling us a bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, I um, have a degree in psychology from Reed College, the school where Steve Jobs dropped out of. Uh, I briefly went to graduate school at the University of Washington to uh, get a PhD uh, in psychology from Elizabeth Loftus who pioneered the field of psychology and the law and repressed memories. Uh, But I soon found that I did not really want to keep, uh, uh, stay in in education. So I uh, moved to Los Angeles where I was fortunate to be part of uh, the David Zucker uh, world, uh, the maker of airplane and naked gun and ruthless people. And, um, so when he would go into production, I would go into production with him, and uh, I produced uh, for him. Uh, it was an associate producer on a series called "For Goodness Sake," which um, the second one was directed by an unknown uh, up-and-coming filmmaker named uh, Trey Parker, uh, and uh, assistant was Matt Stone. And they handed me a videotape one day and said, take a look at this. And I did. And I came back and I said, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. And it was the pilot for South Park. And um, they signed with Comedy Central a few weeks later and uh, were uh, kind enough to have created a character in my honor. Uh, And at the same time, I uh, created... Uh, a, a little transcription company that did the field transcripts for a show called A Current Affair. And so they would do long interviews and I would, uh, my company would transcribe them. And then we added Inside Edition and American Journal and Access Hollywood. And uh, during the OJ trial, um, it, it became a, 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 a bigger business. And then I bought out my competitors and um, I, uh, had uh, basically every network and studio was my client. Uh, And so at the end of Nightline or NPR or Oprah, when they said, if you'd like a transcript of this show, that was from the transcription company of Burbank, my company, which I sold in 2003 uh, to move to Israel. And when I got here, I uh, uh, started to uh, teach Holocaust and Jewish film. I had always been studying Jewish 
and Holocaust film. And I start, I actually started teaching Holocaust studies in my twenties in Portland at a religious school and was on the board of the Oregon Holocaust center. Um, but an opportunity came up, uh, with young Judea and I started to teach, uh, the Holocaust, uh, at Holocaust films. And, um, I figured out ways of looking at Holocaust films that no one else had, had ever looked at. And, um, soon enough, the education department at Yad Vashem saw what I was doing and asked me to lecture there when they would have seminars come, uh, uh, teachers who wanted to learn how to teach the Holocaust. And, um, so I've taught thousands of people of educators from around the world how to teach the Holocaust using film. And then I decided to write a book. And uh, so I, uh, my book was published in uh, October of this year, of last year now, called Holocaust Cinema Complete, an analysis uh, and history of 400 films with a teaching guide. And um, that's, that's the short story. Before I move on, I'm dying to know which character was named for you in South Park. Um, my my production name. There was another person named Rich in uh, in David Zucker's world. My mentor uh, was named Rich Markey, and so every time David would say Rich, we'd both answer. So David said, "You need a nickname," and he it was right when "Do the Right Thing" came out. So he said, "We'll call you Spike." And I didn't want to be called Spike. So I said, at least it's better than Shlomo. And he said, no, <laughs> Shlomo is perfect. So uh, Shlomo is my production name uh, around those guys. And the character is named Shlomo in um, <laughs> The Passion of the Jew and Jubilation. Uh, and um, so uh, recently, David Zucker actually came to Jerusalem to first screening of Airplane. And after he didn't know I was there. And afterwards I asked from pretty far back, is it true that your greatest producer was also the official scorekeeper of basketball? And he said, yeah, that was Rich Brownstein, but we called him Shlomo. Is that you? (laughs) (laughs) So then we had dinner anyway. uh, That's uh, that's the Shlomo story. I wonder if I should be calling you Shlomo throughout the interview now. (laughs) (laughs) You wouldn't be the first. Yeah, <laughs> but it's um, not my uh, Hebrew name. I just thought it was funnier and better than Spike. Mm. Indeed. So how did how did you go from South Park to? Um, well, I mean, you've explained the journey from writing Holocaust uh, Cinema Complete. Um, but would you like to take us on the journey of of writing the book? Well, um, yeah, I I uh, I had been. I had been writing a lot. Uh, I would write reviews uh, for myself and for my classes uh, of films that I thought needed to be reviewed. And uh, one day I, uh, at Yad Vashem, as usual in my class, I uh, explained that I thought that uh, one movie in particular, Tim Blake Nelson's The Gray Zone, was the finest Holocaust film ever made. And um, the, the people there asked me if I would uh, write a little something about that because there was just uh, 
it was unfathomable to them that this film that nobody had ever heard of could be the greatest by far. And so I, I started to write this, um, the, this essay, this piece about the gray zone. And it just became apparent real quick that there's no way that you can write that kind of a story without bringing in the entire history of Holocaust filmmaking. And, uh, and so I, I ended up writing nine chapters. Uh, the first couple are about um, what is a Holocaust film. Uh, and to be clear, I'm talking about non-documentaries, so narrative films that uh, are either television or feature films, uh, but not miniseries, not shorts. Um, and then about... Uh, the the eras of Holocaust film production and um, and then issues topics like fiction versus nonfiction and um, I, I couldn't just not recommend Schindler's List. I needed to write a section about Schindler's List. I wrote the history of Anne Frank's diary uh, in print and all of the films and. Uh, a, a section about how we can watch Holocaust films, knowing that Elie Wiesel uh, did not like Holocaust films and wrote uh, really, uh, he, he wrote aggressive uh, articles in the New York Times when Holocaust miniseries and um, War and Peace came out in 1978, 1989, respectively really um, denouncing Holocaust filmmaking. And, and so I had to write about uh, his um, journey and that he ultimately recanted because of his dear friend, Harvey Weinstein. And, uh, and another part that talked about how it's possible that uh, it, it seems like there's a Holocaust film in, at the Oscars every year uh, that, that in fact, of the 77 American produced feature Holocaust films that 21 have been nominated for an Academy Award, which is far greater than any other genre. And that uh, every other year since 1960, a foreign language film has been nominated. And then I got into a, a, a chapter about the actual history of Auschwitz filmmaking, and then a chapter about the gray zone, and then one about how we watch uh, the, the pianist, uh, knowing that it was made by a confessed child rapist, uh, and uh, the educational opportunities there. And then the eighth chapter is a pedagogical guide for, for teachers, um, and uh, including a list of about 80 objectives uh, and the films that would go with them, with each objective. And the ninth chapter is a review of the 50 films, 52 films that I recommend, uh, including um, a, a sub part of it at the end that is a list of the 15 greatest. And the last third of the book is uh, an appendix, a, a list of, of 450 Holocaust films uh, and the summaries of them, the directors, the actors, the um, awards and languages and lengths and where to get them. And, uh, and so that's the journey and, and it was long and, uh, and I, I was really fortunate to find a publisher who, uh, 
was in, incredibly generous uh, with, uh, they never put any limits on the, um, the material. Uh, and just when you're ready, go ahead. Uh, so uh, McFarland Press was wonderful. It's wonderful to me and uh, I feel very blessed. That's some serious viewing there. Um, just to go back, you said which types of um, material you dealt with, but what, what is a Holocaust film? How would you define it? Yeah, so it's not it's not such a mystery. I, I, I've heard I've heard a lot of people try to make it more difficult than it is. Uh, I break it down into four basic categories. Uh, if if the film principally took place during the Holocaust and it was about a Jew who suffered during the Holocaust, then it's a victim film. If it's print, if it's during the Holocaust and it's about a Gentile who either hurt or helped Jews during the Holocaust, then it's a Gentile film. And uh, so, so, those could be uh, Schindler's List helped and conspiracy hurt. Uh, so, so there are hundred and uh, of the victim films. There are hundred and fifty six of them. Of the Gentile films, there are eighty six, of which two thirds are righteous Gentiles. If it happened after the Holocaust and it's about uh, a survivor, then it's a survivor film, and there are eighty six of those. If it's after the Holocaust and it's about a Nazi uh, being tracked down, uh, like Boys from Brazil or Marathon Man or the Eichmann films, then uh, it's a perpetrator film and there are 47 of those. And then there's a, an extra category for films that don't quite fit into that uh, the, those neat packages. Um, for example, Sophie's Choice, she's not Jewish, so she couldn't have been. Uh, a victim or survivor. So this is the tangential or miscellaneous um, and Inglorious Bastards is there in Cabaret because it was pre-Holocaust. Uh, and there are 68 of those. Um, so that's, um, th that's how, and there are, there's a second appendix of films that I don't think made it, uh, that, that don't have enough content, Holocaust content uh, to, for me to be considered a, uh, Holocaust films. I think the most controversial one there is probably the book thief. Uh, but um, there, there are a lot of films that are considered Holocaust films like monuments, men, or, uh, that, that, that are world war two films. They're not Holocaust films. And that's usually where the confusion is. So what makes a good Holocaust film? Well, what makes a good film to start with? So uh, it, it can't be a good Holocaust film if it's not a good film. And a good film uh, needs to have at least, uh, it, at the very minimum, it needs to have a great story. You can have a, a bad story and dress it up like the reader or like the boy in the striped pajamas and have great stars and great acting and great production and, and awards. But if it's a bad story, then it's a bad film. Uh, and those are bad stories. Uh, after that, uh, their justice matters, uh, and uh, all of the, uh, uh, 
the other ancillary film issues, uh, casting, performances, dialogue, costuming, cinematography, but Holocaust films, uh, like any other genre, uh, if it's superfluous, it, it, it's, uh, it doesn't matter, um, usually. Uh, I recently saw a, um, a, a, a story that could have been good, a film that could have been good, called The Auschwitz Report. Uh, and it's about these two Jews who escaped from uh, Birkenau. And they had documentation to present to the Red Cross. And that's a good story. Uh, unfortunately, they spent uh, almost the entire film escaping and on the run. And only a little bit of the film with the uh, Red Cross. And inexplicably, the first uh, minute of the film is showing the protagonist being hung on the, ga- on the gate of Auschwitz. Uh, and with a sign around him that says, hooray, welcome back, which didn't happen. And I don't know why they did that, uh, but it ruined the film because you're watching a film thinking this guy is going to be captured and he wasn't. Uh, uh, And another film that just came out that is appallingly bad is Ari Fullman's Where's Anne Frank, which uh, is an animated film that takes the spirit of Anne Frank's diary in the case at the Anne Frank house in Amsterdam. She bursts out of it as a person walks out with the diary uh, and, uh, and ultimately uh, while everybody, while the world is, is looking on, she in contemporary Amsterdam says, to the world, I will burn this diary if you don't let Middle Eastern refugees settle in Holland. Uh, bad story, bad concept. Uh, and so those are some examples. So you mentioned earlier that um, The Grey Zone was the best Holocaust film ever made, in your opinion. Could you, could you explain a bit more about why? Sure. So The Gray Zone was made in 2001, and it was released the weekend of 9-11, which is why nobody heard of it. It was uh, directed by uh, an actor, principally an actor named Tim Blake Nelson, who um, is known most for his work with the Coen brothers. Uh, But he wrote the the play, and then he wrote the uh, movie, and did not act in it. He uh, got his buddies, David Arquette and Steve Buscemi and Harvey Keitel and Mira Servino and many others to be in the film. Um, And it tells the story of the revolt at Birkenau uh, and the destruction of two of the four primary crematoria complexes a story that most people don't know even happened. Uh, it, it's such a great story that it, it, the story was ripped off subsequently by Son of Saul in 2015, uh, a film that won the Best Foreign Language Film Oscar. Um, 
So the story was was an important story, uh, but he had learned all of the lessons of previous Holocaust filmmaking. He didn't uh, bathe the, uh, uh, the 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 film in a uh, in violins or a soundtrack of any kind. He he just had the rumbling of Auschwitz of Birkenau in the background. He didn't have the tortured accents uh, of American actors uh, who couldn't do an, an accent like David Schwimmer in Uprising uh, or Liam Neeson, who's not American, but Liam Neeson's accent in Schindler's List. He let these, he let the actors uh, who were, who were playing Jews sp- speak in their own voice uh, Harvey Keitel was playing a German and put on a German accent. Um, and the dialogue was very close to what you would expect from David Mamet at Mamet's Best, where there's, uh, there, there, what is being said, it, it, it can be heard on multiple levels. And um, overall, it, it, it showed these people, the Sando Commando, the people who... Uh, manned the entire death process it showed them as human beings it didn't it didn't sugarcoat what they were it didn't make them into into angels or evil uh it just made them uh people who we could relate to uh and who um we understood their motivations and ask ourselves during it would how would we have behaved if we were in their shoes. So as opposed to uh, a film like The Triumph of the Spirit, which is about a a boxer in Auschwitz, uh, it's hard to relate to that. Or um, The Pianist, which is a great film, by the way. Uh, You're looking at somebody uh, who I don't think any of us could recognize doing what he's doing. Uh, but here you can you can see yourself in in their shoes, uh, and that's part of the reason. So on the other side, um, well, I did want to ask what what do you think is the worst Holocaust film ever made? Well, I don't want to say the worst because I don't want anybody to see it. Um, <laughs> Jerry Lewis thought that his film that that was never released, The Day the Clown Cried in 1972, was the worst, uh, and. Um, we will we'll have to wait another year to see that that's when it'll be released um there are as a class uh th- by nationality which i also break down the films by uh the the country that makes the worst holocaust films is canada uh they have uh been relentlessly bad and uh, and I'm saying films that were produced by Canada and by Canadian directors. Uh, you can look at any of those films, uh, even with known directors like Norman Jewison, who did the statement, uh, and and you'll uh, you you'll be amazed at how bad they were. One was called The Poet, uh, with. Daryl Hannah and Roy Scheider and Nina Dubravin. It's it, it, it's appallingly every every bit of it. The production, the story. One of them uh, called emotional arithmetic. Uh, 
uh, Susan Sarandon plays a girl who, for, for reasons not explained, a girl from Cleveland who ended up in uh, a French concentration camp as a little girl, and now she's an adult, and her husband is Christopher Plummer, and uh, her uh, a boy from the concentration camp, now an adult, comes and visits. And I've said before that if you didn't walk into that film as an anti-Semite, you would walk out as an anti-Semite. So uh, there are worse. Um, There was uh, one called uh, uh, Forget Me Not, the Anne Frank story, where a boy walks into the Simon Wiesenthal Center in Los Angeles, a a neo-Nazi who's ready to spray paint, vandalize the place. And the curator from the museum takes him and sends him to Anne Frank's attic in uh, to to be um, rehabilitated by Anne Frank in 1940. Whatever. Um, that that's a, a an obscure film. Another one that with time travel is called um, The Devil's Arithmetic. It was produced by Dustin Hoffman uh, for educational purposes. And here we have a a young woman played by Kristen Dunst who uh, goes to Seder night, drinks too much wine, goes to open the door for Eliyahu and walks into a shtetl in Poland. And everybody knows that she's there. Everybody knows she's from the future. And, uh, And she starts to tell stories about the future and uh, about the Wizard of Oz, and uh, and, and uh, it's a train wreck. But th- so those are some. Uh, but I-, I should say, I want to be clear. I love uh, Holocaust films, uh, good ones. Uh, there are many, many, many good ones, many, and I recommend fifty, more than fifty. So uh, uh, it, you asked me about the worst. Those are some of the worst. Why, why do you think Canada makes such bad films? Uh, the my current theory is that they are subsidized, and that because they don't have to go through the same process of review uh, that the market uh, requires of other films, that they can just make crap. Uh, I, I haven't found a better theory than that. There have been good, um, they've made, they have good filmmakers. Norman Jewison is okay. He's an all right filmmaker. He made Fiddler on the Roof. Uh, they, and they, and, and Canada made, uh, uh, an extraordinary Jewish film called Lies My Father Told Me. Uh, uh, a, the, the one exception is a film called The Quarrel, which um, was Canadian produced, Canadian written, but it was directed by an Israeli. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, it's a recommended film. Uh, it's very good. And it's uh, one of the few films that uh, grapples with Holocaust theology. But uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I'm from Oregon. I, I, I speak Canadian. I know how to do that. And uh, uh, they're, they're wonderfully nice people. They just aren't good Holocaust filmmakers. <laughs> uh, 
I'm going to go back to something you said earlier um, about the Oscars. Why do you think um, Holocaust films are so popular with the Academy? Well, um, Kate Winslet uh, famously uh, made a joke about it on, with Ricky Gervais uh, three years before she did The Reader, where she said, if you do a Holocaust film, then Oscars are guaranteed. Uh, that was she had not won an Oscar and she finally won her first for the reader, which, uh, to be clear, was the story of uh, a, a Nazi guard who um, uh, was illiterate, made a very sketchy deal with a young man uh, that he would read to her and in exchange he'd get to have sex with her. I think he would have done it either way. And that. We then find out that she was a Nazi guard, that she had uh, locked 300 Jews in a barn and burnt it down. She's put on trial, but she can't defend herself because she's illiterate and we're supposed to feel sorry for her. Uh, I, I don't know why the Academy would have rewarded a film like that. Um, it's not the only time that, that bad films uh, and bad Holocaust films have won awards. Uh, I think that in some cases, like in Schindler's List, which is not a film that I recommend, uh, it was his time, and a lot, and the film, a lot of parts of the filmmaking were worthy of of some awards, uh, but uh, it was not. Uh, it, it, in some cases, it's a matter of timing, uh, and there is no denying that. Uh, the Academy has a lot of Jewish representation and um, they are marketed to uh, appropriately. But when it's not the Jewish year, then they're not going to get the awards. And uh, sometimes it's just not. It, 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 the, 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 award, the, the Academy works that way. I mean, to play devil's advocate, I wonder if the award for Kate Winslet was for her performance, which just happened to be an illiterate Nazi guard, rather than the film. Uh, well, I, I, you, you can, I, I yeah, okay. Let, let's say it's, let's say that's the case. I'll, I'll take that. I just, the, the, the whole thing was so abhorrent to me that I. Uh, I, I discount the entire film, but I think that's a very valid point. Uh, I'm looking to see who else won that year, who else was nominated that year for Best Actress. And um, uh, Meryl Streep lost for Doubt, a film I don't remember. Angeli, Angelina Jolie lost for uh, Cha Ch Changeling. I don't even know what that is. Uh, a film I don't remember, Frozen River, uh, I don't remember, uh, <laughs> Anne Hathaway. I, so yeah, it, okay, that's a great point. It was probably the best performance in a uh, in a middling year, and it didn't win any other Oscars. Thank so you. during the conversation and in your book, you mentioned the boy in the striped pajamas as well as Jojo Rabbit. Um, I, I don't believe you cared for either movie. Would you like no. to expand on that? Well, they're, they're different cases. The Boy in the Striped Pajamas is uh, the story of a really nice man and a really nice woman who have a really nice family. 
And his only problem is that he's the commandant of Auschwitz. And, uh, and nobody seems, only his mother or mother-in-law, I think it's his mother, seems to care. Uh, and his wife doesn't really care. She doesn't really figure it out until uh, she had to have been an idiot because, you know, you're sitting there with smokestacks and, and what's that smell? What are these people running around? These filthy people who are in these, I, I, and, uh, and, and then you have this little boy, Bruno, who's running around, uh, at, at electrified barbed wire playing soccer with, uh, guards right there who can see. And, and he, and he wanders into the gas chamber with his buddy Shmuel and, uh, and, and we're supposed to feel sorry uh, for the commandant, David Flewis, uh, who, who is a great actor, uh, but, uh, and I loved him in Fargo. I mean, his character in Fargo on the TV show is, is uh, one of the greatest characters I've ever seen. Uh, but uh, if he had, if he had had the kind of malice in the boy in the striped pajamas that he had in Fargo, then I would have bought into his, uh, I- into it. But he was, he was a, such a nice daddy, this commandant of Auschwitz. And Jojo Rabbit was just infantile. Uh, it, 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 uh, it was uh, the the Hitler thing having Beatles music in it. Uh, I understand what he was going for, but there are there there are so many good Holocaust comedies that that strike a balance between uh, being imbecilic and and be, with farce and and uh, making a point. Uh, that there literally was no mean Nazi in this Nazi film. Hitler wasn't mean. Sam, Sam, what's his name? He, he wasn't mean. Who was mean in this? Uh, and uh, I, I think about uh, a film like, uh, <clears throat> like Genghis Cohen, where uh, you have a farce, you have a, a an, an ex-Nazi who, who, who's the police commissioner in a German town a, a, 10 years later, and a Jew comes back who he had killed uh, as a ghost and torments him to death. That's a great plot. You have another one called Mein Fuhrer, which people can see on Netflix, uh, where uh, another German, an, another Hitler caricature is, uh, is a main character it's at the end of the war and Hitler uh, is a little down and he needs to give a big speech. And so they figure the best way they're going to stoke his fire is to bring in a Jewish acting coach. This is great stuff. They all, there are many films, even the great dictator, there are films that, that have just because you have a funny Hitler doesn't make it a good (laughs) film. Uh, It, there, there are so many good, good Holocaust comedies. Another one's called The Train of Life, uh, slapstick and funny, and no Hitler in it, but uh, some good stuff. Um, so I know you didn't get to deal with this in your book because it probably doesn't fit into your definition of a Holocaust film. 
one of the things I'm interested in is how the Holocaust has kind of um, infected, might not be the word, but other genres. So now it crops up in movies that are not about the Holocaust. So the Terminator would be an early example where clear parallels or you get jokes in movies like The Hangover. Um, would, you, would you care to comment on that? Well, um, I, I would be more specific about um, uh, probably the producers uh, where uh, the Holocaust is the joke that, that it could be turned into. And, and I should say, I don't consider the producers to be a Holocaust film. Uh, but to make the, making a joke about the idea that people would would see a play called Springtime for Hitler uh, it, it is exemplifies what you're asking that, uh, in this. There are many other films that have used it. I, I, one that I do consider a Holocaust film, uh, which may be something of, akin to what you're talking about is X-Men where um, uh, the Holocaust is the, uh, the analogy, it, it is the, the metaphorical, uh, it, it, the, the Jewish victims are what the X-Men were. And, uh, and it starts in Auschwitz. The first three minutes are in Auschwitz. Um, you, you don't think about it again. You don't, it's not terribly relevant. Um, but, yeah, there, there, there are films that there was one recently uh, last year where um, uh, a couple of years ago where there's a, a, a bank heist and it turned out that one of the, uh, the, the, the main guy, it was, it was all about Holocaust revenge, uh, the entire heist. Uh, okay, it, it's, it's convenient. In some cases, it's cute, it's good, it works, but in most cases, it doesn't. Is that the Spike Lee movie? Yeah, yeah. I forget what it was called. Christopher uh, Plummer. Yeah, Clive Owen. Yeah, yeah and know. Clive Owen was in it, uh, and uh, and Denzel Washington. Uh, I will tell you the name of it in just a second. Inside Man. That's right. Uh yeah, it was it was entertaining, uh, and Christopher Plummer, God bless him. Well, he just died, but it, the, Christopher Plummer, I love him uh, so much because uh, he he could have just stopped with the sound of music and played along with it. You know, every time anybody's in you you any anybody's in in anything today. And you watch them on a talk show or an interview and they say, it's the greatest thing I've ever done. I can't imagine ever not doing this film. It's the most important thing I've ever done. Uh, the people I acted with were fabulous. Like you listen to Steve Martin and Martin Short talking about their, their, their little podcast, their, 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 their Hulu big thing, Death in Parkville. And, oh, no, this is the greatest thing, Selena and, and Nathan Lane. And, oh, man, this wonderful. And and they say that everybody says that about every movie. Christopher Plummer called the Sound of Music, which was a crappy film. He called it the Sound of Mucus, and he called it S and M. And he admitted that he had to get drunk in order to do the Edelweiss scene 
so he shows up in a lot of Holocaust films. Uh, another one uh, called Remembrance uh, with Martin Landau. Um, and, um, and, and, and I'm always grateful to him for having said the truth about the sound of music. Well, we've taken up um, a lot of your time already, but before you go, um, would you like to tell us what you're working on now? Uh, well, the, the next book would be a review of every Holocaust film, not just the 50, uh, that I, uh, recommend. Uh, in the mean, meantime, I'm doing a lot of, uh, uh, speaking. Uh, I'm going to be the, uh, featured guest, uh, for the National Library of Israel, uh, just before, the Inter International Holocaust Remembrance Day uh, on January 24th. Uh, and that's open to the public. It's virtual. Um, and I'm going to be speaking for the International March of the Living and for B'nai B'rith International and for Classrooms Without Borders. Uh, and uh, I'm very happy to um, hear from people who are interested in having me speak for their organization to their organization. Uh, I'm very reachable at, um, if you go to my website, holocaustfilms.com, holocaustfilms.com, and you can find a, a link there to, to contact me. Uh, and, uh, I would love to, and any suggestions that any of you have as to what, uh, how to get the word out uh, about Holocaust films. I'll be very interested. Well, that's great. Thank you. Um, and I want to thank you for being on the show today. I really enjoyed the discussion and um, I recommend uh, Holocaust Cinema Complete, um, which I should add is not a dry academic tone. Uh, um, and um, Some witty prose in there as well. Um, but thank you very much, Rich, and take care. That's kind of you. That's very kind of you, uh, Nathan. And um, uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, uh, you're, you're a very generous interviewer. Thank you. <laughs>